0: Welcome to the Everything Music Ed podcast. I'm your host, Tom Borning. In this podcast, you'll hear from teachers, musicians, and others about their experiences in learning and teaching music. In today's episode, we talk with Aaron Bush. He's been a band director for 17 years. Currently, he's the band director at Foxborough High School, where his jazz band continuously gets nationally recognized through the Essentially Ellington competition. We talk about how he gets his band to that high level. We talk about how he took over for a Massachusetts education band teaching legend. And we also talked about how he keeps his instrumentation appropriate for his jazz band. And we talked about a bunch more stuff too. Hope you enjoy Aaron Bush. <laughs> yeah, so my wife went to pink last night and it was just inc- like she said it was amazing. So she was like I might I might see if I can find some tickets tonight and we should go again. And I'm oh, like, man. Hey, we go. did
1: man, did you bring the kids?
0: No. No my like my daughter we asked she asked my daughter if she wanted to go with her and her girlfriends last night and my daughter was like no and I'm like <laughs> I can't be- I I don't know my daughter's Two schools for school, I guess. I'm all set, she's twenty three, you know. Like I don't know. Ah, oh, but that's the best age. I would, I would have thought so. I don't know, but anyways, yeah. Like you leave that zone
1: of like hating you, and now they're into like the happy <laughs> adult mode. Do you have kids? No, God no.
0: Oh, All right. I mean, I'm living
1: the dream. That <laughs> double income, no kids.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. So I'm here with Aaron Bush. Band director from Foxborough High School. How many years have you been teaching, Aaron?
1: Well, um, I taught for 10 years in Needham um, as the middle school band director there. And I did all the the middle school bands, uh, 7th and 8th grade band, and the jazz ensemble, and I founded the wind ensemble there. And um, after 10 years, um, I took the job in Foxborough, where this will be my 7th year, I believe. And um, Foxborough has always been, you know, a really special place for me. I I have a deep relationship with the program I student taught here um, when I was coming out of UMass Amherst. And um, I actually student taught here because I met Steve Massey, uh, who was the band director here at Foxborough High School for 37 years. I met Steve and Bill Rowell at the South Shore Conservatory when I was, you know... 13 years old playing in their bands and and I came from East Bridgewater um which was a great program you know I, I worked with Dan, Dan there, yeah my man he's he's beautiful man and uh you know got a lot of strong foundational support there um and then when I went to the conservatory and I played in Steve's band um you know my limits were pushed and I, I played music that I'd never experienced before I was exposed to the music of Duke Ellington um, Thad Jones, Count Basie, playing in that band. And that, and that was a, a great band at the South Shore Conservatory because it was mostly Steve's kids from Foxborough that were in that jazz band. He would bring a lot of his own students. Um, and so it was basically his band and a couple extra kids. And I was one of the extra kids. And in that process, you know, I, I learned how important playing was to me and how I wanted to be a teacher. And Steve and Bill, encouraged me to go to UMass Amherst, where um, as I went through UMass Amherst, I would always retain and maintain that relationship with Steve. I would come back here and observe and go to all the concerts and be part of the whole family. Um, and then when I, came, when I came home to student teach, it was a no-brainer. And um, student teachers at Foxborough, there, there's been a small amount of us, um, but they're, they're fantastic individuals. Um, Richie Labetz uh, Fred Harris over at MIT mm-hmm. uh, you know it's a, a deep family and when you student teach through the program that you're in it's a seven week program you know you work for seven weeks and you go to elementary for seven weeks and then you're done yep. um, so I just stayed all year and I, I basically student taught in Foxborough for 13 months from band camp all the way to band camp the next year wow, Um yeah. lost Thousands of dollars in just, you know, like driving here every day, no part-time job. Um, I started subbing here after my time was done, but Steve basically made me a functioning member of the Foxborough Music Program, and um, that's when I I really developed that deep relationship with Steve. He's he's like my father, you know, Steve and George Murphy. Wonderful. Um, And, uh, you know, I taught for 10 years in Needham, and you know, I would have stayed there for my whole career. I had a great program there, really supportive community, excellent ensembles, hundreds of kids involved in the program. I I built that program uh, really from the ground up, uh, you know, just getting as many kids involved and, you know, raising the expectation. Um, We had some fantastic uh, ensembles there in Needham uh, in that 2000, you know, 2008 through, or 2007 through 2017 time. Um, And Really, the only job that I would have ever applied for would have been the Foxborough job, and um, you know when when he retired, um, it was it was a shock because the guy you know he worked for thirty seven years here, and you know I remember talking to him when he retired and made the decision, and I said, hey man, you know I could have sworn you had at least you know twenty more years left in you, or at least like three or four, and he said, yeah man, you know I I spiritually and musically and emotionally, I could do this for another 37 years, but physically I can't do it. Um, You know, there are days in his schedule where he would sit in the band room, you know, for 16 straight hours. And, you know, between ensembles, uh, the concert band, the wind ensemble, the jazz ensemble during the day, the theory class, the Vocal jazz, sectionals after school for two hours every day, Wednesday nights, you know, rhythm section rehearsals for two hours, then big band for two and a half hours, and you leave at ten p.m. And you know, he was he was seventy
0: years old when he retired. Yeah, no, and- I remember George Murphy telling me a story like there was like a like a big picture of Foxborough High School, and it's like you know they took it at like you know and un, you know an hour where there's no teachers no nothing and he's like there is <laughs> one car and it's Steve Massey's car is yep. in the picture you know yeah, the man, only... right over there
1: yeah. that's the part the, the little driveway the little <laughs> private driveway that I have yeah um, yeah man it's and he's still you know very involved um, both George and Steve you know I was hanging yeah, with yeah no it's great time. George
0: is so great um, we've played a couple gigs with George and George I actually, when I first started teaching, when I moved from teaching high school to teaching fifth and sixth grade band, I went and observed George Murphy, uh, which was great. I was so happy to do that. And I had already seen some like presentations that he had done at Allstate. And um, so it was really that was really good. He had brought his jazz band. Uh, to Allstate and so it was really neat to see like some of the certain things that he did um, with his with his students Um, with improvisation for example like my favorite thing that he did was make it very safe space for kids to experiment with improvisation so you would he would have he'd have the rhythm section going and they'd be like all right saxophones you know, use use these four or five notes and experiment with it. Ready, go. Yep, that and collective do,
1: improvisation.
0: Yeah, so it's just because I always tell people that, like, improvising for the first time is like having one of those dreams where you're, like, at school or in the mall and you're just in your underwear or something, you know? <laughs> yeah, man. And, and so... That is the best way to do it because it's like if a kid, even if a kid plays the wrong note, he's playing with like four other people. It's, it's not a big deal, you know, or play something that isn't cool or whatever. I, you know, everybody's uncomfortable about it, you know, and then you, I don't know. I just, I love that whole process. And I, I, that little thing that I got from him was really, really cool. Um, yeah. He's but, a master. Yeah. But what do you, so what's, what's your main instrument? Saxophone. Saxophone. And so, but did East Bridgewater have a jazz band growing up?
1: It did. Um, You know, it was the model that a lot of schools um, follow where it was an after-school only, you know, club, basically, an activity. It wasn't really part of the curriculum in the school day. And, you know, we would play, we existed how several jazz bands do now. You know, we started halfway through the year when the marching band season was done. We performed and learned, you know, three, four pieces, took them to a festival, um, you know, got a gold medal, played, you know, hip to the square, theme from the Flintstones, you know, and that's all great. You know, Tower of Power. um, And and there's a a place for that. Um, But it it wasn't really a jazz band. Um, You know, there was a lot of written out solos. There was a lot of um, instruments that weren't covered, um, you know. Electric bass, limited skill set, and that's fine. Um, so it, it was something where you know we I, I improvised on the blues and you know over you know basic chord changes, but I really wasn't exposed to um, a curriculum of jazz, and I had never played the music of Duke Ellington or Count Basie or Thad Jones or Fletcher Henderson or Pat Metheny or you know whatever. And and because of that, I had a very limited skill set, and I thought that I was a killing player. Because, you know, I, I, could, I could play the horn, you know, I took lessons, I was into it, I was involved. Um, but my skill set was, was very limited in the grander scheme. So it took me going to play in, you know, really serious groups that were dedicated to a curriculum and masterworks and multiple styles and genres and improvisation um, that showed me what was possible in that. Um, and that was playing, you know, in, in, in Steve's band, you know, in, in that, you know, that summer music you know, situation. Yeah. And, and then seeing the curriculum that Steve had in place here in Foxborough where, you know, we're very fortunate um, where we have two jazz bands that meet during the school day that are weighted um, with the same, you know, GPA that science or math is. It's class. Um, and that's mirrored by having two jazz choirs, also that my colleague Brian Raymond teaches. So we are very fortunate. We have four jazz classes that meet during the school day, um, and and that allows us to create a curriculum all year long. And the jazz ensemble here at Foxborough will play sixty tunes every year, and yeah. the lab band will play you know twenty tunes, and that's mirrored with the vocal jazz curriculum. So it's it's very deep. It's not common in schools. Um, we're very fortunate, and that's a product of Steve working for forty years to really help the community and the administration recognize the value of teaching jazz because, and I you know I, I have very strong feelings about uh, jazz education that we're playing black American music. And this music is well, the study of jazz puts us in touch with the mythic substance of human history and American history. and if we're going to study that and recognize who we are as a culture, as a people, as an American base, um, it's so important that we have that in the classroom at the same, and, and hold it at the same level that the music of Holst and Granger and Prokofiev and Beethoven are held in the same standard. So we really focus on that at Foxborough that it's not just about playing in the band or singing in the choir, but it's the whole music education experience and jazz plays a critical role in that. Absolutely and not to mention, you know, the skills that it develops with students of improvisation. You know, I I always tell the students that are reluctant to, you know, improvise, I say, Do you want to play jazz or do you want to play in a jazz band? Because they're very different to me. You know, if you're playing in a jazz band, you're playing, you know, third trumpet, you're playing second trombone, you're playing, you know, lead tenor. And that's great. You know, there's value in that. And kids love that. But if we're really going to study this American art form of jazz, we have to improvise. And that can be taken into any class. We improvise in the concert band. We improvise in the choir. We improvise in the orchestra. um, And it helps students develop their own individual voice that builds confidence. So when those students are improvising, they're actually going to play that second trumpet part better because they've developed confidence and soulfulness and awareness of Rhythm harmony form um, it, it's all good, so it all benefits one another
0: sure yeah no absolutely I it, and it's funny not everybody thinks that way, meaning uh, there's been many times at like district level all state level and and even a local level um, where where I've heard other music teachers refer to like jazz education as jazz attainers, you know, or edge, edutainers. And I'm like, wow, like completely clueless, completely clueless, yeah. you know? And, um, cause it is really important. And I'll be honest with you. I don't know that it's really reached all of the country yet. Like really. Um, a friend of mine that teaches here on the Cape came from teaching down South and he's like, he's like, no one has a jazz band down in where I came from. No one does. They're all marching bands. It's Everything's marching band. You know, and, and listen, I love marching band as, as much as the other person. I love drum corps, all of that stuff. But just to only focus on that, I have that your main focus, I think, I would say is equally inappropriate just to be so uber-focused on that one thing, you know, and that's something I really tried to do a lot in Falmouth, too. We... We were like Falmouth is like you. We have a the um, a jazz band meets during the day. <laughs> yeah, I used to I used to love that because we would do you know be able to do sixty tunes like you and and and, uh, and you know have like our competition three and all that stuff. Um, but one thing that is unique about Foxborough is that you guys have been doing the essentially Ellington thing for uh, a long time. So I know Steve yeah. was doing it and then you hopped right in there. And kept the ball rolling, man. So, to, I I don't want to screw this up. So, give me some, give me some of the accolades and all that stuff that you've gotten from Essentially Ellington uh, Jazz Competition.
1: Yeah, well, um, Essentially Ellington. Uh, I have a deep love for Essentially Ellington EE, and I have a deep love for Wynton Marcellus. Um, and I've been very fortunate through this process. Um, the music of Duke Ellington has changed my life and my students' lives, um, hundreds of my students' lives over the years, and I love Winton for that because Winton and Jazz at Lincoln Center—they've um, changed jazz education through making hundreds of the hundreds of tunes of Duke Ellington available that were not available because Duke didn't publish his music. He wrote over a thousand tunes, but. They were never published for consumption. They existed for his band that he had for 50 years. So Winton comes along um, through his wisdom and his sophistication and his desire to give back to jazz education. Um, and he made these tunes available. And the great thing about Essentially Ellington is, you know, you record your band um, a- and submit recordings playing the music of Duke Ellington. And regardless of if you're selected as a finalist, one of the 15 finalist bands in the country, you get the same feedback from the panel of adjudicators, prescreeners, that any band gets. So if you have a middle school band, if you have a high school band that has half of the instrumentation, if you have a really serious killing band, or if you have a really you know young developing band, everybody gets the same feedback, and this program's free to anybody that wants to be part of it. All you have to do is sign up on their website and you get these eight or nine tunes every year for free that you can play with your kids. And the accessibility of this music has changed the status quo of jazz programs in the country. And there are a lot of directors that are intimidated by, you know, submitting recordings. You don't even need to submit recordings. You, you can just take the music for free. Um and Foxborough has been very fortunate over the course of the past. There's been 28 years of essential This is the 28th year. Foxborough has been a finalist uh, 21 of the 28 of the 28 years. And it's it's um, it's interesting because the the festival's grown so much now. At the beginning, in the late 90s, it was just open to New York, and then it opened up to the tri-state area in the second year, and Massachusetts was involved in the third year. Um, and that's basically when Steve started bringing Foxborough, because Steve was already playing the music of Duke Ellington through transcriptions, um, through band direct band directors or band leaders like the great Kenny Hadley, you know, God rest his soul. We just lost Kenny Hadley. Her Palmer them, may yeah, have some good ones, yeah. Beautiful cat, um, taught in Foxborough for years, and Steve would get those transcriptions and perform it with the kids, and then this essentially Ellington program came along, and all right, great, let's do this. Um, so it's it's kind of grown so much over the past 28 years, where before you would have a handful of schools sending in audition tapes. Now you have hundreds from all over the country, parts of Canada, parts of South America, and there's no restriction on the type of school. So, for instance, Foxborough has, we have 700 students, basically, in Foxborough High School. It's a public school, 700 students, and we're competing against arts academies and... Um, specialized schools. For instance, um, the Tucson Jazz Institute in Arizona, which is a fantastic program, which is a weekend program. It's not really a school. Um, Or Jazz House Kids, or even uh, public schools like um, Plano West, directed by the great Preston Pierce, my brother, I love him. Um, He's just an 11th and 12th grade school only with multiple thousands of kids. Mm. Or Noblesville, Indiana, which has... 6,000 kids in their school and you know, a a depth of players. Um, so, so it's, it's not a fair competition in that regard because, but that's okay. And, and because the goal of it is not to be the best, but the goal is to play this music and grow as people, as a culture, as musicians. Um, so we, we have been, um, I've been with the band, uh, four times now. And um, I, I went with the band in 2019, um, 2021, 22, and 23. And uh, last year, we were second place um, of the 15 bands. Um, the year before that, we were third place. So we've placed in the top three at several times. Um, and it's a remarkable experience. Um, you're you're, it's basically these are the best 15 high school jazz bands really in the world, yeah. and they're playing sophisticated music at a very deep level. And the weekend is life changing that you play at the House of Swing at Jazz at Lincoln Center, and the kids are immersed in Q and A sessions with Winton and the Jazz at Lincoln Center Orchestra master classes, jam sessions in the Appel room overlooking the city, catered banquet dinners for the kids where they sit and talk with members of the Jazz and Lincoln Center Orchestra, other finalist band members. And then each of the 15 bands um, play, you know. And the the special thing about Essentially Ellington is that it is a competition of those 15 bands. You get in to be one of the 15 finalists and then you compete again in New York City. Um, But every band wants every other band to succeed. You know, it's a rule that when the bands are performing, every other band is watching in the in the House of Swing. And the soulfulness and spirit and encouragement and celebration of of all the bands is infectious. And every solo gets a standing ovation and every band is cheered for viciously. And you know the the, the camaraderie and the spirit at Jazz at Lincoln Center that whole weekend as you're walking around the halls and, you know, I'll have kids come up to me and say, oh, Mr. Bush, you're from Foxborough. We've listened to Foxborough's recordings for years. We love Foxborough and you'll see kids that'll recognize each other from past years. And um, it's, it's such a special program and I will be part of it recording for, for this festival every year of my career, regardless of the skill level of my band just because the benefits that are paid, the dividends that are paid by learning this music and recording. I mean, we we hire the great Peter Contrimus, recording engineer, um, to come in and turn our band room into a recording studio. So the kids get to experience what it's like to be a, a pro band recording at a professional level. And you only submit three tunes, but I'll record eight or nine. and. The kids will learn what, what it takes to have a recording session. And then after we record, we'll mix all the recordings together with the recording artist. So they'll see the process of how we bring up certain sections, how we add EQ, how we add the balance here. Um, it's, a, it's an educational experience because the recording session and essentially Ellington is just part of the curriculum in Foxborough. Sure. It's not something that we measure our success by. And if we get in, cool. And if we get, here, I'll show you. If, if we get like, like these things, like cool, awesome. Yeah. And if we don't, who cares? You know, it's, yeah. it's something where, you know, we, we, we do our best to instill in the kids that, you know, this is a process and it's part of the curriculum and we're very fortunate to have the opportunity to play this music at the highest possible levels. And um, I love that program. I love Winton deeply and all the members of the Jazz at Lincoln Center Orchestra for what they've done for jazz education. It's changed my life and my students' lives and I am forever indebted to to the great Winton
0: Marcellus. Oh no, that's great. I it's 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 a it's a cool program and I, I used to love just signing up for it and getting the charts and
1: Oh, for free.
0: Uh, yeah, for free, right? And uh, you know, I I only did it for a, a little while when I was at at Falmouth High School, but uh, it was it was definitely a fun thing to do and get some of the charts and um, it it was always good. Just I don't want to focus on just Ellington. I also want the kids to experience you know Tom Kubis and yeah. Gordon Goodwin and Count Basie and Toshiku Akiyoshi, all all the greats and. And, uh, and so I just love, um, I love that those charts became available. Like you, you know, Dave Berger is great at transcribing. Yeah, and, um, so it's, it's really, really cool. Um, so now you, you went to Fox and and it, it would be like, you're following Steve Massey. That's a bit like being, you know, Mac Jones coming in and following <laughs> Tom Brady a little bit. So, yeah. like, I, I mean, I, I remember actually. I remember applying for a job in at Norwood.
1: Oh, following Polly, man.
0: Exactly, and I was like, I remember I took one, the first interview, and I I woke up having a dream that he was just like, breathing down my neck. Which we is so, yeah, I'm like, it, it, I'll never forget that dream. And I was like, wow. And it was at the same time I was applying in Falmouth. Yeah. And so I was like, it would have been interesting, you know, if I if I did end up, you know, going to Norwood. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I, every other job I've taken, every job I've ever taken, I've had basically had three different jobs. And I've always taken after, I've, Always taken over for someone who's been struggling a little bit, yeah. so I want to know what it's like. Maybe it was easy because the program was so well set, but I would be nervous as heck, man. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, let me start by saying I I love Paul Alberta man. He what a what a so great good. mentor and, and beautiful cat he is and has has had a very important role in my life in my career and yeah. know, he wrote the book and uh, the love that I have for Paulie is very deep and. Yeah, I mean, um, it is, there is a lot of pressure, but the pressure that I feel has never come from Steve. The pressure is always from myself. Um, Like I said, Steve's like a father to me, really, truly, Steve and George. And I, I want, I know that they spent 30 years of their life dedicated to these students. And I want to do right by that and keep that tradition strong because of the love that I have for them and the love that I have for this program and the students. Um, I, you know, when someone retires, there's always, uh, especially in band directing, you know, th- there's, there, there's kind of that old adage that, you know, band directors never really retire, and they're always kind of hanging around and finding a way to stay involved, and because they dedicated so much of their life to, singularly to, to this job, wherever it may be, um, when Steve was done... He was done, and he never felt the need to hold on to this program because it was never his. It was the kids, and Steve is the living representation of giving back. He's the most giving individual I know. He built something from the ground up, dedicated his heart and soul to it, to the aim of giving that away to students and community and to staff. So. If I didn't invite Steve to come back and work with the kids, we would never see him Um, because he knows how difficult that would be to establish myself with him around. Um, But it's never been the case. Uh, I bring him in all the time. I love him, and our kids love him. And when he comes in, or George, I'll sit there and take notes in front of the band. And, And that actually endears me and establishes me more because it shows them that I'm willing to bring in master educators because I love these students so much I want the best for them. Steve has never told me what to do. He's never criticized what I've done. It's always been the deepest levels of love and respect. It was an easy transition, actually. And, I, and I'm i not just saying that. Like It really was because I never really left here when I finished student teaching. There was 10 years, but I would go to every concert and I would go to rehearsals. Um, You know, I I was conducting the Rhode Island Youth Wind Ensemble for a few years and I lived in Boston. So I had to drive from Rhode Island back to Boston to get home. And I would, every Wednesday night, I would, I would stop by Foxborough and catch the last half an hour of jazz. And I would come in, I'd play, you know, I'd play my horn or I'd walk in and Steve would have me teach something or, and all the kids knew me. So I remember that when Steve, I actually went to New York with Steve for his last Essentially Allington, which was his last year. And I rode the bus back with the kids. And I had already gotten the job in April. So it was May. You know, the, he didn't really talk about who the next band director was. He just told them he was retiring. And some people knew that I had the job. I was still teaching in Needham. And we were riding back on the bus. And Steve said, as he was talking about what we should be grateful for. He always would talk to the kids on the ride back from EE about how can we be grateful? How can we show that we're grateful? How can we give back to younger students? How can we invest deeper in improvising and jam sessions? And what can we do? If we are fortunate in our lives, we build a longer table, not a taller fence. So what can we do? And I remember he said something. You should be grateful for Mr. Raymond, you know, your jazz choir teacher who dedicated so many hours. You should be grateful for the principal who's riding the bus here with you for supporting you. You should be grateful for Mr. Bush for coming down and supporting you, who will be your band director next year. And there was no like, oh, it was just the kids kind of went, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that's probably going to be Bush. <laughs> I mean, who else would it be, you know? Um Who else is crazy enough to to step into this and take over? Um, So I've felt pressure on my own, but I I never felt the need to. I know that he's proud of me. He tells me all the time. And he's at every concert. And he shows so much love for the students. Whenever we've been to essentially Ellington, he's been there with us. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't ride the bus. You know, he doesn't hang with the band he always just goes to support and i remember the first year i was there in in 2019 you know i talked with him throughout the whole process after we got accepted like what hotel do i stay at who do i rent the bus from you know should i touch the microphones on stage you know and do i use the amp for the guitar and he you gotta calm down you'll be fine And, and and you know he said you know do you think that you could maybe you know call Jazz at Lincoln Center and get me some tickets for Barbara and I because you know I I have to get them through you and I don't want to take any of your kids tickets and they're going to sell out. So I remember calling Megan Kelly, the great Megan Kelly who runs Jazz at Lincoln Center Essentially Ellington. I love her. And I said, hey Megan um, you know, Steve Massey would like to attend Ellington this year with his wife and daughter and his daughter ran Essentially Ellington for 10 years, Joanna, who now teaches the NYO Carnegie Hall Group. And Megan said, Aaron, I'm going to stop you right there. You're not going to pay me for tickets for Steve. I'm not going to, you know, collect money from anybody. Steve Massey is royalty at Essentially Ellington. And anytime he wants to go, he'll have a ticket. And he was sitting behind the band, you know, when we were watching the other bands. And they announced the top three groups. And it was my first year. And, you know, I always would tell the kids, you know, it's easy to go to this festival with the best 15 bands in the world and just feel happy to be there and feel lucky to be there. But you go to win because you have the ability to do it. And if you win, great. And if you don't, great. It doesn't matter. But go with the attitude that you can compete at the highest levels with the best bands in the world because you are one of the best bands in the world. So I'm sitting there and they announced the first of the three in no particular order. It was Dillard Center for the Arts in Florida. And the kids, you know, you know, cheered and everything. And the second play, and the second, uh, finalist band, um, was Orange County School for the Arts in, uh, in Florida. And the kids, you know, cheered and, and he said, <clears throat> in Foxborough High School. And I remember kind of going, what? And not mm-hmm. really processing it. And the kids were, you know, screaming and the principal was sobbing. It was beautiful. <laughs> and And I remember getting up from my seat when they dismissed all the bands. And the top, the the twelve bands that aren't finalist bands, they go and have dinner in the city, wherever, and they come back for the final concert that night. And the top three bands eat with Lincoln Center Jazz Orchestra, go to the green room, have uh, stage time because you play with a member of the Lincoln Center Jazz Orchestra as like the top three prize. Um, so we play with Ted Nash, you know, the great Ted Nash, saxophonist. Um, And I remember standing up from the seat in shock and Brian Raymond, my, my colleague and best friend was, you know, hugging me and saying, Oh my gosh, man, we're one of the top three bands. And I turned around and Steve was standing there, you know, and I get so full, man, when I talk about Mm. this. and I, and, and it's like, there was nobody else, you know, there was hundreds of people, but I just saw Steve and he came up to me and he hugged me and he said, I'm proud of you. And immediately all of like the official camera people, cause they have like a team of camera people. They all like swarmed in because <laughs> Steve Massey and the new guy, whoever the hell he is, but yeah. <laughs> Steve Massey and the new guy. It's like click, 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 click. And he said, man, I'm so proud of you. And, and he's always been proud of us. So, you know, I, I feel pressure to maintain And it's hard. You know, Foxborough deals with all the problems that everybody does. Um, But I know that everybody has supported and loved me so much. Um, The parents, the students, the administration, because they all love Steve and they trust Steve. And they knew that Steve wanted me to do this because he knew that I could. And I've always felt that love from from everybody involved. So it's a lot of pressure but I feel that from me, because I want to be the best version of myself for the students. Sure. Yeah. We've done it. You know, it's, I haven't broken it yet, which is, <laughs> I remember talking to him and being like, Steve, man, I'm, I'm going to break this. I'm going to screw it up. I'm gonna, it, It's all going to crumble. And he said, Aaron, you would have to work really, really hard to break this. Because the culture, because yeah. the leadership in place from the students you would have to work really hard to screw this up and i said i can work really hard steve i am a really hard worker i'm afraid i'm going to break it and it's been fine
0: it's been fine good so like what, one of the challenges i think that the average high school the average high school jazz band director would have would be like a bass player that can read changes or a guitar player that isn't just playing like bar chords or, you know, a drummer that actually can swing and read music, uh, you know, that type of thing. So do do you have, um, I mean, it's great that you have two bands, so you always sort of have like your, your B team ready to move up for the next year type of thing. But what does it look like in elementary and... Um, in junior high, in terms of especially, I feel like what we will always have, you know, if we're doing things right in those programs, which Foxborough is, we'll always have the saxophones and the trombones and the saxophones and the trumpets. Uh, but... Um, you know those those rhythm section instruments sometimes can be very difficult for the average right. uh, high school program so what is it what does that look like in terms of like the the building of that or the yeah, yeah.
1: well i mean we we're very fortunate to have an amazing middle school staff jenny greenleaf teaches our yeah i band.
0: you know i couldn't grab her name cuz i taught oh, her okay. i taught her brass methods class when i taught oh, okay. her at our, when I man, taught Jenny at is, Boston Conservatory well, slash yeah. great Berkeley. She Jenny, was great.
1: Jenny is a beautiful cat, man. Uh, there's, there are a few people in this profession that I admire more than Jennifer Greenleaf. She mm. is the, the true backbone of this program. Um, a, a beautiful friend of mine, a, a trusted colleague, and a brilliant, brilliant educator. And the work that she does at the middle school with Bobby Glynn, um, is really remarkable. Um, And they start them, you know, after school, it's an after school jazz band. And we transition kids to instruments um, and whatever they aren't able to do in a given year, um, I'll just do here, you know? And like you said, I have the lab band, which helps a lot. Um, And our program isn't that big. You know, we we have a small band program and I basically take students and I, for, I don't want to sound like a jerk, but I, I teach them, you know? And, If we need trombone players, if we need a bass player, if we need piano players, I teach them. And certainly rhythm section is um, a struggle. It's challenging to teach rhythm section. It's challenging to teach jazz. Because if you just think logically about it, the amount of people that have jazz experience coming out of a band program, maybe 10% of the band program plays in jazz band. Okay. Maybe because they played French horn or flute or whatever, you know, or they just didn't do it. So then those those people that go on to teach music enter a pre-service teaching program where there generally isn't any substantial jazz education pedagogical classes. And there are some that, there are some institutions that have that, but the majority don't. Um, and so you're already dealing with a small subset of individuals that have jazz experience. Then you take that, put them into a music ed program, and that same percentage played in jazz and has jazz experience. The rest do not. So I think we can do a better job in pre-service teacher preparation of teaching young teachers how to teach jazz. And along with that is an awareness of the rhythm section. I've done uh, several sessions on, at, at Allstate about developing young rhythm section players, but I, I'm a sax player and I had to invest personally in how to play those instruments, and then surround myself with people that know more than me, and find mentors that can guide me, and a private lesson faculty, which helps, but I basically take students that I know are hungry to learn, and hungry to be part of the program, and I'll teach them anything. Um, you know, it was funny, we were we were at EE, I think in, in 2021, 20, and I had a trombone section, four cats, you know, great players, and... They, they have master classes during the weekend where they work with members of the Lincoln Center trombone section. So they put three sections in a row and they each play for 20 minutes or so. And then Chris Crenshaw, Vince Gardner, and Elliot Mason give them feedback, which is great. Awesome model. So the first band plays, you know, it's, you know, uh, like an arts academy and they play, they sound killing. And and Vince goes, man, you guys are burning, you know, like, tell me about your section. And they go, well, you know, we have like 80 trombone players at our school and, you know, these three players are, or these four players, you know, we're the most advanced players, and we've been playing for, you know, eight years together in a section, and, and they're playing on shires, trombones, and they study with this cat in the city who's heavy, you know, and Vince goes, man, you guys got it going on, and the next band comes up, and and they play, you know, Bragging and Brass or something, it was killing and Vince goes, man, you guys are burning too. You know, tell me about your scene. And like, oh, you know, like, well, we just got up to the top band this year. You know, we have six jazz bands in the high school. And, you know, you know, we've been playing together in a section. And we're all seniors. Oh, that's great, man. That's beautiful. And then Foxborough comes up. And they played, you know, Solid Old Man or Afro Boss on one of the tunes. And they sounded really, really good. And, you know, Chris and Vince go, man, Foxborough, man, you guys are always killing. You know, what about your section? Tell us your, your story. And the first player goes, well, I'm a French horn player. I'm a bassoon player. I'm a trumpet player. I'm 14 years old. And Vince goes, come on, man. Like, stop, stop messing around with me. Like You, you guys are, you, you know, you, you're lying. And they go, no, no, we're, we're serious. And Steve did that for years. You know, um, I train rhythm section players every year. And I'll sit with them after school. You know, I've invested where... I know the characteristic voicings and technique and pedagogy to use to start them off. You know, I can teach a drummer to swing. I can teach a guitar player the concept of Freddie Green comping, of, of single voiced chords, you know, single note from the chord on the third, on the third of the chord on the third or fourth string in an arch body guitar, you know, playing in a quarter note, strumming pattern, the bass player. I can teach them how to walk bass lines and harmonically how to construct those pianists. I can teach them basic voicings that can get them through comping dominant seventh chords and two, five, one patterns. Drummers, I can teach them limb interdependence and how to swing and how to play a rock groove and how to play a funk groove and how to play all the multiple styles of Afro-Cuban music. Um, And from there, once I start them, if they weren't already started at the middle school, which they usually are, um, I'll pass them off to our outstanding private lesson teacher. We, we have Christian Lyman teaching drums, who's a graduate of Foxborough, and Steve Scott teaching bass, and and Kevin Scollins teaching guitar, who's a graduate of our program. The great Kelly Powers teaching jazz piano, and it's you know it's easy to look at a jazz band, and I. I hesitate to say this because I come off as super judgy and I don't want to come off as judgy, but you know, I look at a lot of programs that don't have those players and I'll work with bands, you know, that don't have a trombone section, or they have four alto players and no berry and no tenor, or, you know, limited rhythm section knowledge. And they'll say to me, Well, you know, I just didn't have a bass player this year and I go, Okay, well, how are we gonna teach that? How are we gonna teach this player? Because That's our job, and it's difficult, it's not easy, and it takes hundreds of hours of investment, but the kids are always willing to learn. You just find a kid who's hungry, and then you give them the information. And if you pick the right kid who's invested, who's motivated, who has attention to detail, who's focused on improving and giving back to a program that's given them potentially a lot in another form, maybe in the concert band or the jazz choir or whatever, um, it can work. It's hard, but it can work, um, and yeah, so it, it, yeah. it can be done.
0: It's yeah. No, that's that's good. That's good to hear. Yeah, because I, I, I think a lot of people have. I see it a lot. You probably see it too. Like they'll come to jazz competitions, and all of a sudden, like, where's the bass player? Oh, it's some dude playing keyboard. Yeah, you know, and that's tough. Or like, oh, they don't have trombones. They got. A piano player with a trombone. It's like, here's my
1: thing. I recognize that there are challenges. I don't know anybody's scene at their school, so I can't pretend to know what's best for them. Um, What I do know is that, again, we're playing black American music, which has a deep tradition that is rooted in protest music. It's rooted in representing oneself in the deepest, most sophisticated, authentic way. So if we're going to teach this art form in an authentic way, we have to have upright bass players. We have to have trombone players. We have to play authentic repertoire that's taught in an authentic way. And that means we have to get those kids playing the instruments that will allow them to realize the intent of Duke Ellington and the intent of Count Basie. It's the same, same uh, reason why we don't play the music of Granger if we don't have the skill set or the instrumentation. You know, it's difficult to play Lincolnshire Posey without horns or double reeds. And there can, a case can be made that students should experience it at any level, and just by being exposed to it, they're learning, which I agree with. But if we want to take it a step farther and recognize the intent of Duke Ellington writing such sweet thunder. We need to have brass players that are playing with mutes. We need to have a piano player that's comping and in the style of Duke. We need to play the music of Count Basie and have Freddie Green style guitar, not power chords being played, you know, on fourths. And again, I recognize it's tough, but we owe it to Duke we owe it to Count Basie, we owe it to Thad Jones, to recreate their music in the most authentic way. Because that is the definition, in my opinion, of musical integrity. And that teaches integrity in other walks of life for these students. Um, So it's tough, but it's something that I've seen for my whole career. Um, And I would encourage teachers to not settle for anything but the most authentic and true truth um, because the kids will pick up on that. And I, and I really believe this music was intended to be performed and played and studied in that way. Um, So we're doing a disservice to our students if we don't invest in the actual art form in the most authentic way. Beautiful. Judgy, Um, totally judgy. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but it's
0: No, I, no, I'm, I'm right there. I'm right there with you. I, I would when I taught at the high school, I would never have showed up with a, with a keyboard bass. I just wouldn't have done it. I, you know, and there were, there was, you know, there were a few years where it's like, you know, I had to teach a girl who played classical upright bass and, you know, her junior and senior year, I was like, Lillian, you I need you walking bass lines, so here's what you you gotta do. do. I believe in you. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, here, yeah. Nothing worthwhile
1: in life is easy. And this will be really hard for you, student XYZ, but Mm -hmm. you can do it. And I'm going to support you. And I care enough about you and this art form to teach myself ahead of time how to play the instrument that I'm teaching you. And that kid's sitting there going, man this teacher really believes in me. And man, this teacher's really passionate about this art form, that they're going to put themselves in an uncomfortable situation with vulnerability to give me the best experience. So you know what? I'm going to work really hard for this cat because they've invested in me. So it's a win-win. Um, it's tough, but, yeah, but it yeah, no, huge Yeah, it's definitely
0: difference. tough. So when you're... Um, what, give, me, give me a couple of your... Top musical moments ever in your life. It doesn't All even right, have to yeah. be teaching. doesn't have to be anything like that. It could be from college. Actually, yeah. you know what? Before we do that, when did you graduate UMass? 2006. 2006. You're, like, way younger than me.
1: <laughs> I am going to be 40 yeah. this year, yeah. Yeah, I
0: graduated in 97.
1: Oh, UMass. yeah, man. I studied with Lynn Clock there in the sax studio. And... Oh, Yeah. Interestingly enough, um, and I'm not proud of this, I never participated in the jazz program at UMass, and it was a mistake, because I was so focused on getting accepted into Lynn's studio, which I wasn't accepted right at first. Um, It took me like a month, uh, three or four weeks to get accepted, and I never worked harder in my life for anything, because I came out of high school thinking I was killing, and then I went to Lynn's studio, and he said, you're not killing, you need to get better, (laughs) and 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 I did
0: I was like you're not killing yeah uh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I know your voice is way off oh I know (laughs) oh I I can't do an
1: impression of Lynn. I'm sure he'll see (laughs) this I fear that Um, but he you know so I didn't participate in the jazz program I was so focused on the classical studio I I really um, and Jeff Holmes and Dave Sporny are masters and I regret not working with them Mm. Um, I got my jazz education from Steve Massey in that year.
0: Wow, that's um, really, that's really incredible. If, if anything that I would say to people right now that just heard that, I would say all, all the more proof that you can do it. You know, like, I know, oh, yeah. like my, my high school band director understood the swing style. So he could teach us swing style, but he really didn't know anything about improvisation. And so I had to like seek it through other means, and so like local conservatory and some other teachers. And I remember like you know actually my my classical trumpet player uh, teacher taught me a blues scale, and I was yeah. like oh, and and I remember like the first time we like we were playing some other tune in, in 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 jazz band after school, and I was like hmm I bet you I could use that blues scale over this song over the, instead of this written out solo yeah man.
1: and I, and yeah. I did it
0: and, and the the other kids in my band were like, what, what was that? You know? And my teacher was like, what was that? And so I'm like, well, it's this blues scale. I don't, I don't and so then it was like, I could teach that to everybody in a bunch of different keys. And it was like, oh, we at least have a starting off point. And, right. and it was really interesting. So my point is, is it's still, you know, no matter what your background is, I feel like you can you – can, these, are, these are learnable things. Even if you're not yeah. the best improviser. Um,
1: yeah, anybody can learn anything. It's, yeah.
0: No, that's all, interesting. Everybody can
1: learn. We all just learn differently. And um, yeah, my biggest advice for young teachers I've, – I've been fortunate to have you know, seven or eight student teachers in my career and mentor mm-hmm. some college students at the South Shore Conservatory. And I always tell them the most important thing you can do is find mentors and surround yourself with people of high quality – that know more than you and it's not about you it's about the students and that means you have to seek the answers that you currently do not possess through individuals that are giving of soul and spirit and are willing to share that with you so and it doesn't matter your age um i'm fortunate in my life that i have had the mentorship that i that i've had with with dan lasdow with Mm. bill Rao, with steve massey with george murphy
0: and, and just and just the fact that those people that you just mentioned have, uh, they they demand excellence, but not nece- not necessarily in a mean way either. They they're they they know how to achieve excellence, and so the fact that you were under those four mentors is pretty cool.
1: They're the best out there, and um, but yeah, I mean uh, musical moments. Um... The first time that I walked out on the stage at Jazz at Lincoln Center, the first time I grew i grew up watching, essentially, Ellington as a high school student, as a college student. I was there several times supporting Foxborough. When I taught at Needham, I would go down and see Steve's band and see the kids that I had relationships with from student teaching. I went there as a student teacher. You know, we, we got in that year and... Uh, the poster that's up in my office here, um, from 2007, was the year that I student taught, and so for me to be able to bring my band to essentially Allington, um, and know that it was my band, um, our band, but but they were they were my students, and to to walk out on that stage and to hear the applause of the other 14 bands and to look out and see Steve in the audience um, was, was one of the most special moments of my life. And then to direct that band on that stage in the House of Swing, where some of the greatest musicians in the world have stood and played um, with my students, with my mentor, who I love more than anything, um, was something I will never forget. And that year, um, we we were fortunate to be one of the top three bands, actually. So we played again Saturday night with Ted Nash from the Lincoln Center Jazz Orchestra. And I got to feature um, a young saxophone player, uh, Connor Hoyt, who, Connor, actually, if you look up here, that's a blow up of Connor's face that the parents... <laughs> the parents made as we returned to Foxborough on our coach bus they, they swarmed the rotary in Foxborough and had blow ups of everybody's face in the band so we took Connor's and mine which my big dumb ugly face up there <laughs> it's terrifying and Connor was able to be featured you know, playing with Ted um, so that was, that was it and every time I go back on that stage and I've been fortunate to, to perform on that stage um, many times now um, it was life changing every time Um, So that's number one. Um, We're fortunate in Foxborough to have two guest artist residencies every year um, where we hire professional musicians, jazz artists from New York, from all over the country to come in and play with our kids um, in a guest artist residency. And uh, we've been very fortunate to have some of the best players in the world. Um, Sean Jones, Marcus Printup, Vincent Gardner, Ted Nash, Sherman Irby, um, we're going to be hosting Alexa Tarantino next fall, the great Alexa Tarantino Erica von Kleist was our guest artist last spring and uh, to be able to perform in our House of Swing here on our stage with all of those world class guest artists who are so giving of themselves to our students um, that collective is, is another one um, in terms of, of playing you know when I think about the most meaningful musical moments in my life, they all involve students, in standing in front of them, being part of that experience, sharing it with them. I've played, you know, gigs, and I've played in great ensembles, um, but it means more to me when I'm there with the people that I love, rather than just sharing myself. Um, I share myself through my students, um, and we all succeed together. And then, I guess number three, because it's on my mind, we mentioned the great Kenny Hadley, you know, who we tragically lost as a Mm -hmm. jazz music community. Just recently, yeah. Yeah, you know, a week and a half ago. And, um, you know, Kenny had a a rich history at Foxborough and taught for Steve, um, jazz drum set, for many years. And I taught with Kenny before I worked here in Foxborough. And then after I worked here, um, Kenny's been on our faculty at the Jazz Improv Camp that we have every summer, and I taught with him for 10 years there. And Kenny, uh, whenever he would record, the Kenny Hadley big band, he would record it in the Foxborough Band Room with Peter Contremus, who records for us for Essentially Ellington, because the Foxborough Band Room is very dead, so it's a perfect recording space. Mm-hmm. So all those early albums that Kenny recorded in the 90s and 2000s were all done right through the wall here, you know, with Paul Brodnack singing, and when um, when Kenny uh, recorded the sacred music of Duke Ellington at the Emanuel Church in Boston in the uh, late nineties, um, Kenny brought in the Foxborough Jazz Ensemble to share that concert with them, and uh, Hal Crook also was was conducting. And that posters up in our in our hallway. But when I think about the another most meaningful moment with, with Kenny on my heart. Um, he invited the, the jazz ensemble to share a gig with him last spring at the Black Box in Franklin, and um, you know he called me up and said, you know, hey, hey man, it's, it's Kenny. You know, uh, you know Steve would always bring the band to play, you know, at our Sunday brunch gigs in Franklin, and I want to bring that back, you know, with you and the band. And he brought our band out to the Black Box, really hip little hall there in Franklin, and the kids watched Kenny and his band play a set, you know, some of the heaviest cats, you know, have played it in Kenny's band. And Kenny's sitting there on the drum set with his Hawaiian shirt and his Bruins hat. You know, that's his official uniform. <laughs> um, and and then we played a set, you know, in between his set and his band, man. They all stayed, you know, in the hall and they watched our kids. And we've had a lot of them as guest artists. And, and uh, you know, our kids... You know, he, he We had him. I had Kenny Reed, who's our sax teacher, who played lead that nice. that, that day. I had Kenny uh, sit in with our band and play. You know, with Emma Lacy, our lead alto player, and she played with his band and sharing that gig with the great Kenny Hadley um, was was the, 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 on my mind, and I think that was a, a highlight of my career, especially, you know, as he's on my heart now, my mind and my heart, thinking about all that he contributed to jazz education through the Kenny Hadley Big Band. Um, I watched that band, you know, when I was 15 years old. Sure. And yeah, no, I
0: remember it. I remember it uh, well when I was in high school, too, and uh, a bunch of people I knew sort of played in it. Some teachers, like Pat Stout, used to play in it. Oh, uh, my uh,
1: man, Pat Stout with his uh, cup of tea uh, in his seat
0: cushion. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And his big, I took lessons his from Pat big, Stout. His big, so did I. Every now- I, I. Only a few here and there, but no. And it's like he always shows up whenever he has a gig where there's no food. He shows up with his sandwiches and he has homemade bread that's, like, thicker than any bread you've ever seen in your life. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, I love that about him. But, yeah, so then, like, you know, a couple years after college and, like, actually being able to play with Kenny, I was like, whoa, this is cool, man. Like, you know, I only, only sat in a couple times, to- filled in and whatever, It was a sub a couple times, but it was still cool. Getting-
1: I love them. I'm and them.
0: Uh, yeah, um, I guess lastly, uh, when you're driving around in your car or hanging out listening to music, what are you listening to?
1: Well, it's very cliche,
0: um,
1: but I love I love listening to jazz and to concert band repertoire. Um, I find that whenever I listen to the music of Duke Ellington, whether it's his extended suites. Um, you know, uh, such sweet thunder, or the Shakespearean suite, or the Far East suite, or the Queen suite, or you know anything, anything by Duke. Um, I find that my perception of the capacity for human beings to create beauty is elevated when I think of you know like you 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 go to the Louvre and you see the Mona Lisa and and you sit there and you go man you know with all this stuff going on in our world you know w- w- you turn on the news and you see you know such sadness and strife and and discord now more than ever and and then you look at the whole reason why I
0: don't ever turn on the news <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: and you you look at the mona lisa or you look at you know a mozart piano sonata or you you know and you say wow Somewhere, at some point in time, a human being created that and there was the capacity for them to recognize truly the best of our collective human spirit represented through that art. And that brings me a lot of confidence and hope um, when I listen to the music of Duke. Because I hear, represented in that music, the capacity for, for beauty. And I'm always inspired by that. And it it shows me what's possible. So I love listening to the music of Duke. I never get tired of it. Um, I love listening to concert band repertoire. I'm, I'm equally as passionate in our concert band program as I am in our jazz program. And I'm always listening to new works and trying to find ways to elevate the status quo of what our students are able to achieve through the curriculum, through the repertoire, that will challenge them, that will... Force them to look beyond themselves, and there's great works coming out now by new composers, underrepresented composers that is is deeply soulful, and 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 deeply artistic. Um, the music of Omar Thomas uh, comes to mind, and uh, so I'm always listening to new concert band works. I'm listening, I love listening to Basie, man. I, I'll wear the, I still have like Atomic Basie on my CD player, you know and I'll, i listen to that stuff. And
0: Basie straight ahead. Album. Oh I mean, man. It's like, uh, I mean, that album's unbelievable.
1: It's the best. And you know, I, I, I always, uh, my guilty pleasure is listening to Lincoln center live at swing city. I can sing every solo from every player, you know, from that entire album. I wore that thing out as a kid and I, now I have to listen on streaming services, which I don't really understand, but it's still good. Um, So it sounds cliche, but I I do listen to music and, and like, literally I need to listen to the music that we perform.
0: So you're just admitting you're a dork, which is fine. Oh yeah,
1: totally. (laughs) But I mean, I I literally, I have to listen to our curriculum all year long because when you put together all the ensembles that I direct between the concert band, the wind ensemble, the marching band, the jazz ensemble, the jazz lab band, I'm literally teaching a hundred pieces of music every year, more than a hundred pieces and I basically memorize all of that music and I started listening to the curriculum last year for mm-hmm. this year yeah so, so I'm always with you
0: this- yeah I'm absolutely with you uh, even though I, I poke fun but no I, I I listened I'm pretty much especially now I, I conduct two adult groups oh yeah so I I listen to a lot of concert band music a lot so you it's like do it. I, I, yeah I have to I have to because what I think people forget to do, forget to realize is like, you know, if, if if the strengths of my group are here, I cannot even as much as I love this particular piece by whatever David Holsinger, I don't have the French horns to do it. Uh, then they can't play that high for that sustained. OK, but I ha- so like knowing, knowing the, the rep and knowing it and sort of memorizing it like what you said. Is, is huge. I mean, that's absolutely huge. To, yeah, I, mean, to when I just have a bank of those pieces. Oh, yep. you know what? My group this year could do this piece, and it's going to be great, and they're going to yeah, love I it, mean, and all the things.
1: When I literally break down like the process of teaching, like what am I doing? I have a model in my head of what this specific piece should sound like played at the highest level. So in the case of... The jazz ensemble, if we're playing, I don't know, Anitra's Dance, I have in my head, like solidly up here, what Duke's band sounds like playing Anitra's Dance. I know what Harry Carney sounds like on Barry. I know what Johnny Hodges sounds like on Lila Alto. Whatever. I know exactly what it sounds like. And then, logically speaking, I listen to what the Foxborough band is doing. And I say to myself, how are these things different? The model versus what's currently in front of me. And how do I get what's currently in front of me to sound like the model? And if I'm going to do that, I need to know intimately what the model is. And it has to be in my ear because that will constantly elevate my perception of what's possible for them. And then it just comes down to knowing the strategies and the techniques, pedagogically speaking, to get them from where they are. To where they need to be, which is the model in my mind's ear. And I can't do that if I don't know what the model is. So I, I spend a lot of time listening to that and so I can hold myself accountable. Um, and and I and I, I don't like using scores a lot, you know,
0: when I conduct and and uh, oh, I think wait, that, where, aren't we always better conductors when oh, we yeah. use a score? <laughs> totally. And,
1: yes. But when I when I'm not You know, like when I'm sitting there with the band and I'm saying, you know, okay, this should be, you know, a a D flat dominant seventh chord, you know, with a flat fifth, you know, and the second trombone is playing the flat five, you know, and I'm not looking at a score. Like, I just know that, you know, those kids are going, damn, like he really knows this part. i got to get my life together. He knows (laughs) all of our parts and I can't even play my part. Like the one part that I'm responsible for, I didn't know that. He knows that about all the parts. I should probably practice this a little bit more because he is, versus if I were to not know the music and try to tell them to know the music, they they wouldn't trust me because they would know that basically I was a hypocrite, that I couldn't do it myself. So I like to hold myself accountable, but it's easy because I love the music. You know, I love sure. listening to the stuff that I teach. Um, I have taught stuff before that
0: I don't like. Mm, that's um, never good. <laughs>
1: it, it isn't good, you know, but sometimes students need to experience a piece of music, and it's not about me, and I have to fake it, which I can do really well, and I'll never tell them that I don't like a piece. Um, I do usually avoid those because it's it's tough for me to sustain interest. Luckily, we go through music very quickly. You know, we perform every, you know, around six, every six or so weeks here at Foxborough, so... I'm constantly moving repertoire from one cycle to the next. Um, but I, I do love 99% of the music that we're performing.
0: Do you ever you ever find sometimes you'll pick a piece that you really love and then you, you you feel like the overwhelming, like your students didn't really love it?
1: Yep, and that's a challenge for me. Gosh, I hate that. Man, because right? yeah. I think the best teachers can get kids excited about the most boring things. And that's what Jenny Greenleaf does so well at the middle school. She can get kids excited about playing whole notes. She can get kids excited about anything because of her passion, her her life, just just her life energy, the way she conveys herself, the way she exudes joy. So, if I do have a piece that I love, um, usually they we have very sophisticated kids in the jazz ensemble specifically because. Many of them have been in the program for several years, years and when the, by the time the kids graduated, they played in the jazz ensemble for three or four years. They played over two hundred pieces of music, so they've experienced a lot of it. Their palate is rich, and they can recognize quality because they've experienced it. And so sometimes I have to convince them that that sure. this is worth it. But but no band that I would never put something in front of you that was of low quality because you deserve the best and i'm going to always give you the best you might not appreciate it at first or ever but trust me when i say this is a valuable piece of art that will take you from where you are to where you need to be and if you trust me we'll get through that
0: wonderful well, Aaron Bush, you're the man. Thanks so much Thank you, for, uh, for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. My
1: pleasure, brother. Awesome. Anytime. Thank you. Best wishes. See you later.
0: Thanks for listening to the Everything Music Ed Podcast. Be sure to check out future episodes as we talk to other educators from different teaching environments and cover areas of instruction such as concert band, jazz band, marching band, chorus, orchestra, general music, music tech, special needs, and much more. The theme music for the Everything Music Ed podcast is Jig, composed and arranged by Wally Minko. Jig is performed by Wayne Bergeron and can be found on his album, Full Circle. The Everything Music Ed podcast logo was created by Sarah Goulart.